Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. In the first part of today's episode, I want to give you an update on buying a vehicle now. Lots of shifting going on in the vehicle market to your advantage as a consumer. And later, what's something that wealthy people do maybe rich people do, that you would not expect. We're going to talk about that. So vehicle prices went crazy in the supply chain disruptions and the worker shortages during COVID. And automakers have tried hard to hold on to those very high prices that new vehicles ran up to. Prior to COVID, the average cost of a new vehicle, and different organizations have different measurements of it, but the average price of a new vehicle, if you go back to early 20, was right about thirty-six to 39000 depending again on how it was measured. Well, with the supply chain disruptions and all that, Manufacturers started sending to dealers only higher-end vehicles with all kinds of options and higher-end stuff on them to drive up the average price of a vehicle. And so the average price of a new vehicle has been averaging somewhere around 48000 more or less, again, depending how on industry measures it. At the same time, the number of vehicles unsold in the dealer manufacturer pipeline is now somewhere around 2 million vehicles. What's been going on is the manufacturers got addicted and the dealers got addicted to being able to sell whatever with whatever options they had on it at whatever price they demanded from the buyer, and people were like, well, I don't have any other choice. I guess I'll have to buy this. You know, somebody who maybe their car was totaled in an accident or whatever the circumstance, people were just putting up with it and paying phony dealer add-ons and buying these option-related things. So now... You go by dealer lots that if you go back not that long ago in the Wayback Machine, the dealer lots were empty. They had no inventory. You go by dealer lots now, and except for Honda and Toyota dealers, there's inventory piling up, both now on the new vehicle side and the used vehicle side. Used vehicle prices are going down. I shared that with you recently on the podcast, new vehicles, we've got this disconnect. And what does the marketplace force? 
what's happening now is large numbers of vehicles are now being discounted at the dealers where before the dealers were adding on junk fee after junk fee after junk fee after junk fee. Now they're having to discount like the old days, manufacturers having to have manufacturer to dealer incentives to fund some of that discounting. But the other shoe has not dropped yet and it's going to. I can see it in my Clark crystal ball. Sometimes that crystal ball is really cloudy This time, it's clear as could be. The manufacturers ultimately are going to have to serve the market with what the market is demanding. And the market is demanding lower cost vehicles. The vehicles are not going to be take it or leave it. You're going to see as the months go on, more affordable versions of vehicles and more affordable vehicles on dealer lots. You know where we've seen it too? Electric vehicles. A lot of the manufacturers came out with electric vehicles that they optioned up and priced at huge markups from the gas equivalent of that vehicle because many of the traditional automakers have taken traditional gas engine vehicles and just put a different power plant in them and then marked them up ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 more because it's an EV instead of a gas engine. And what's the marketplace saying? Get lost. Electric vehicles that are reasonably priced are selling like mad. Electric vehicles that are overpriced or underperformed are sitting there. Uh, by the way, the sweet spot in the electric vehicle market, particularly if you need a commuter vehicle rather than an over-the-road vehicle, used electric vehicles are a steal. They cost like nothing to run. And as used vehicles, they're not holding value for the older versions, older technology, older generation of electric. Um, The Ford F-150 Lightning that had price increase after price increase after price increase for the electric version of the F-150 Ford pickup truck buyers, the F-150 buyers who had considered electric said, forget you. What are you doing, Ford? Making that electric vehicle cost what a condo costs. So now Ford has cut the price of the F-150 Lightning as much as 10 grand, responding to the marketplace. So in summary, the new vehicle market is rationalizing and normalizing. But it's a process. It's a trend line. It's not where it's going to be. So if you have a vehicle that's working okay and you can stall on replacing it, be on buyer strike till the automakers and the dealers wise up. And as I shared the other day in answer to a question, shopping the country for a model you want instead of just local is key to saving money. And you decide your pain point. Is it a 500-mile radius of where you live? Is it 1,000 miles? Is it 2,000 miles? For most people, it's 500 miles is their pain point radius. But when you widen your search for a particular make and model and you're willing to go outside local market, the difference in savings is thousands of dollars potentially, easily thousands of dollars and one-way airline tickets are cheap enough 
You can go see America, fly somewhere to where that vehicle is, buy it, bring it back. You can take a train or a bus to get to where the car is, yeah. You could. You were just telling this way, me about this way how you bus don't, travel is Right, so- this way we don't have to have the Clark stinks about why I only talked about an airplane to go get a car. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Anonymous in Washington says, how do you feel about houseboats in areas where traditional homes are so much more expensive? What are the pros and cons of such a lifestyle choice? Homes and condos around me have a median price of 380K, and that's a lot for a bachelor like me with no kids. If it helps, I just turned 40, I have no debt whatsoever, and I will have around a 30% savings rate if I count my employer matches despite making under $40,000 annually. Okay, you're my hero. You're saving a third of your pay making less than 40 grand a year. This is excellent. On the lifestyle choice, it is a completely different lifestyle living at a dock, living at a marina, whatever. You'll tend to have a small space, very low ceilings. Uh, But if you love the water, it's a lifestyle that people do love. You know, I have a niece who is doing just this. She and her husband are buying a boat and they're buying not a houseboat. They're buying a boat that has sleeping quarters and they will use it both to travel and to live on where they are. Wow. So this is an alternative that you have to be the right person for it, but this is a viable alternative. John in Texas says, as a fellow Costco lover, even though my wife would not let me name our daughter Kirkland, we bought outdoor patio sets from Costco in the spring of 2018, six years ago. We still love the set, but most of the cushions split open and ripped during the summer. Since it's been six years, I do not feel comfortable even asking for a refund from Costco, and I assume they would have said no. No, actually, they would say yes. I mean, you have the right to return anything except a very narrow category of stuff forever, but it really is something that would not be the right thing to take back a six-year-old patio set. To replace these umbrella-covered cushions looks like it would cost more than buying a full new, brand new patio set. Do you have any solutions to this? Can we reupholster patio cushions with umbrella material? Or am I going to be stuck buying a whole new set and having to put all of this furniture structure in the trash unnecessarily? Yeah. This is something that people have complained about for years is that when the cushions deteriorate, that the cost of repairing them can exceed the cost of the whole set you got. You don't have to use Sumbrella brand. You can see what other brands are available. You may be able, and there are other brands that people are happy with other than Sumbrella. You could call the manufacturer or different manufacturers or shop online for whole new cushions. They would already have the fabric on them. And if they fit your set, that would be a great alternative. But it is a problem that patio sets left in the elements don't last as long as we might hope for. And I would definitely price out the fabric. I would go to an upholstery shop around me and just find out how much it would cost. To replace them too. So you have those couple options as well. David in California says, why does Clark have a feature story on iPhone hacks when true Clarksters don't use that overpriced piece of blank? For your frugal followers, hacks for Android phones would be more useful. 
Well, okay. So I, I'm an Android person. You're an Android person. But our audience is majority iPhone. And Apple made that happen in really a brilliant move when they parted ways with Johnny Ives. Was that the name of the incredible product creator at Apple? I think that was his name, Johnny Ives, whatever. They went to a new pricing strategy, and Apple's market share of cell phone users in the United States skyrocketed because instead of just having one phone done one way and that was all they sold, now Apple, like its competitors in the Android environment, have a very wide variety of price points, what they call spreading out the buckets. And so now someone who prefers being in the iPhone orbit, wants to have FaceTime and all that, can buy an iPhone at a very reasonable price. I prefer the operating environment of Android, but there's nothing that makes an iPhone a piece of beep. (laughs) So if somebody wants to use an iPhone, that is just fine with me. Besides, if I told my family that what they use was a piece of beep, I'd be in trouble since they are all Apple all the time. Our amazing managing editor, Sally, though, says that this is a story idea we have now received. Thank you very much. You may see that in the future on Clark.com. Wonderful. Well, I want to tell you that you don't have to be rich to buy an iPhone anymore. But also there are things rich people are doing, wealthy people are doing, that you might not expect to stretch every dollar. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I've noticed something really clearly when I go to Aldi, and Aldi now is in most of the country, or I go to Lidl that is in only, I think, 12, 14 states right now, which are the big, deep discount international supermarkets or hard discount supermarkets. And look in the parking lot of a Lidl or an Aldi, and what will you see? Go to a Dollar Tree, what will you see? You go to Five Below, you go to places that are all about the deal, you'll see the opposite of a bell curve. You will see very high-end cars, and you'll see people who in areas they can ride public transportation or riding public transportation. You'll see people in older cars that are maybe going to make it home, maybe not. The thing that is wild and weird 
and unusual about people who shop deep discount. They tend to be extremely high income or more towards the low income side. And the middle class hollows out does not tend to shop at deep discounters. And I can tell you, people who just assume that if you go to Dollar Tree or you go to Aldi or you go to Five Below or you go to Lidl, just assume that the stuff's not going to be any good. I'm not going to eat that food. It's going to be terrible. I'm not going to buy those items. They're not going to work or whatever. You're missing out. You're missing out. I'm telling you, as someone who is very, very careful with the money I spend, I'm able to stretch every dollar by going to these stores. When I buy over-the-counter meds, my go-to is Dollar Tree or Dollar Twenty-Five Tree because, yes, I'm buying off-brand acetaminophen. I'm buying off-brand ibuprofen. I'm buying off-brand Band-Aids. I'm buying off-brand this, that, or the other. The stuff works fine, and it's a fraction of the cost. I shared with you the story about that you could go to a CVS or Walgreens and spend $7 for a hydrogen peroxide thing that's $1.25 a Dollar Tree. Come on. It's money. It's money. I know that Aldi is a very polarizing store. There are people who go into an Aldi and they hate it, hate it, hate it. But if you like it, and you know Aldi has such a rabid fan base that there are these bloggers that earn a living just writing about what's going on at Aldi. I'm not kidding, for real. I shop all the time at Aldi. It is my principal supermarket. What's number two? Trader Joe's, which is the corporate cousin of Aldi. Don't turn your nose up at the discounters. I saw an item in the Wall Street Journal that their traffic among the wealthy Americans has gone way up at the various deep discounters. There's value there for you. If you're having a party, a kid's birthday party, I challenge you to find party supplies cheaper than you're going to find at Dollar Tree or finding stuff at Five Below. If you've never been to a Five Below, it's a little bit different market. It's geared very heavily towards young women and teenage girls, but they have a lot of stuff that's a real deal, including sporting goods. That's been a very successful category for them. You buy a new smartphone and you need a case for it. You can go into Five Below. That case will typically be $5, I think 55 cents. Much cheaper than you're going to find elsewhere. You reach for where the deals are, the values are. As for the reliability and quality of the items I get at the various discounters, I'm really happy with them. Occasionally, you'll buy something that turns out not to be very good. It may turn out to not be very well made or whatever. That is rare. Food at Aldi, I find it to be very good. And you find the brands that you trust, the produce that you're comfortable with, and things like that. 
But what you do get along the way is you get a grocery bill that's typically going to save you 40%. Why is that? That should just be for people that are struggling financially and people that are really wealthy. What about everybody else? Don't you want to save money? I want you to save money. Krista? Gary in Virginia says, my wife and I have been renting for the last five years while trying to save up for a home purchase. With high interest rates and housing prices, we've struggled tremendously to find anything that is workable in the right area and within our budget. After about half a year of house hunting, there were only two properties that we seriously considered making an offer on. Our rent is very reasonable, so we don't have to do anything immediately, but we'd like to purchase eventually. Recently, a foreclosure auction was announced on a house that we've been keeping an eye on. We are good friends with the builder, are sure that it was well built, and feel pretty confident that the house would be a pretty good fit for us. We're praying for a miracle and hope to get a good deal on the property. We know it has more risk buying this way and would bid accordingly. Curious if Clark thinks buying a foreclosure is an okay move for a first-time homebuyer. Clark thinks that buying foreclosures can be a great move for any home buyer. And I have bought several foreclosures over my lifetime. Now, right now, if a house is in foreclosure, likely it's a people problem house. That means the individuals who own it, somebody could have died. It could be in a protracted, ugly divorce. Somebody may have relocated somewhere else and they're having trouble, it's almost always in a market that has remained generally strong, there's a backstory why that house is in foreclosure. Not that there's anything wrong with the house, just there are problems involved with the owner of that house. And so going for a foreclosure could be absolutely a great way to buy. Scott in Massachusetts says, my husband and I are both prior military and have recently taken permanent legal custody of his 16-year-old grandson, an 11th grader, due to his mother having issues and losing the kids. Well, I I just want to stop you for a second and tell you that I really appreciate that you've stepped in there. You're making sure this 16-year-old is loved, cared about, and in a supportive environment while the kid's mom is not in a position to do so. And thank you for your service too, both Absolutely. of Absolutely. Besides concern for his mother, we are concerned about any effects this may have on his future college financing. Our assets are basically a home and 401k, and income is around 110000 His mother has no assets. The father is unknown and not on the birth certificate. Will our income and assets count against him for college financing? Also, he has a part-time job. How do we best set up his savings to not impact his future eligibility for college grants and loans? Listen to you every night, Scott and Mark. Uh, Again, thank you both for stepping in. Uh, First things first, you asked, how do you set up savings so it doesn't count against for financial aid? The best thing would be for the 16-year-old to have you put the money in a 529 account, a college savings account, or put the money from the part-time job in his own Roth IRA. That might even be best. Uh, The money in the Roth, the contributions can be pulled out at any time, not the earnings, tax and penalty free, and could ultimately be used for college probably later years. Uh, I don't know if you... Because you have legal custody, you may be in a position to use the GI Bill or veterans' benefits. There's a lot of back and forth whether you can do that 
as a grandparent and you'll have eligibility. But using the GI Bill may be a way, if you've not used up your GI benefits for education, to provide money for your grandson's college education. Maybe. That would be a path. Your income will have some impact on eligibility for financial aid, but maybe less than you might expect. You are expected to devote roughly 5.6%, something right in that range, of your income for education, which would be somewhere around 6000 So very likely your grandson would qualify for financial aid. Also, uh, because of the circumstance, a lot of colleges are more helpful to people who've been in difficult home situations. A circumstance like this may, in fact, at many schools, qualify your grandson for additional financial aid. And that's why your 16-year-old grandson, when college comes, is going to have to be very much his own advocate, and you can be part of that as well, to be known to people at admissions, to be known to people at financial aid, to get the best financial assistance possible for obtaining a college degree. Debbie in Arizona says, I enjoy taking my 85-year-old uncle on trips a couple times a year. He otherwise would likely not go anywhere. He's a great traveling companion. He's curious, adventurous, like trying all different foods, agreeable, and a former social studies teacher, so full of great insights. In 20 years, we've traveled all over the U.S., except Hawaii and Alaska, to national parks and big cities. Earlier this year, he announced that he got a passport. I have no idea why, but he's... Because he wants to see the world. (laughs) He's very proud of it, even bringing it with him on our trip to Orlando in May. I sort of hate to think that he spent the money on it, being on a fixed income and modest lifestyle, but here we are. So naturally, I'm now compelled to find something for us to do where he can authentically use his passport and have something to show for it. Any suggestions? He's very mobile for short spells, happy to learn, isn't crazy about big groups, but we enjoy day tours. We need to do something modest in price under $2,000, and I have absolutely no cruise experience and have gotten frustrated navigating that world. Help. Okay, so Debbie, I have the craziest idea. Don't think I lost my mind. Why don't you take your uncle overseas, put that passport to use, Outside the United States, because in winter, to Europe, airfares drop like a rock. The cost of accommodations become so much more affordable. You could, without breaking too much of a sweat in the winter, for you in Arizona, you'd have to be prepared for the shock of cold weather, but airfares drop enough, and what hotel rates are and stuff like that, you could... Take a trip for under $2,000, airfare and hotel included, for the two of you to Europe. You potentially could not, it's hard in winter, you might be able at certain times of the year to take a trip all the way to Asia, uh, really from LAX, at a price that you'd be able to do the whole trip, including air and accommodations and some sightseeing for under $2,000. You could go closer afield. A lot of air service out of Sky Harbor, out of Phoenix, where you could go to Latin America 
at uh, a r- price that you would easily be able to do an entire trip for the two of you under $2,000. So I'm hoping your uncle will help widen your world here as well and present the opportunity to go much further afield. If you do decide what you want to do is a cruise, then go to a cruise-only agent, somebody you meet with face-to-face in Arizona, talk through the possibility of cruises, and you can go during a time of year the kids are in school, particularly the fall, is when there are a lot of great, great, really inexpensive deals where you could easily, the two of you, go on a seven-night cruise and spend under that $2,000. Love the whole thing you shared with me. And I want to thank you so much for listening. And remember, you heard me talking with great passion about saving money when you shop. What are we about here? Giving you ideas, ways to save more, spend less, and avoid getting ripped off. And hope the rest of your day is not only fantastic, but discounted. <laughs>